Hello, everybody. Just a very quick one about Instagram. If you're on it, Meta, the parent company, is reducing the number of political posts visible to users on their feed. This is a real thing, not a hoax. So go to your Instagram profile, tap the three horizontal lines in the top right corner to open the settings tab, scroll down to what you see, click on content preferences, open political content, and turn on don't limit political content. That's an option. Otherwise, you won't see almost anything we post because we are deemed political. Please do that now or you won't even see the posts about our shows, our fun things. So if you want to see Guilty Feminist content and know when we're coming to a place near you, releasing a new podcast, do it now. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm a feminist, but this is the last week I'm going to interrupt the beginning of the podcast in order to say it's the Royal Albert Hall on the 7th of July. If you can't come to this, I'm so sorry. But if you can, do, because it's going to be absolutely remarkable. We have Hannah Gadsby from Nanette coming all the way from America to headline. We have Claire Perkins from Amelia doing the final speech of Amelia, known as the Burn the Fucking House Down speech. It's going to blow the roof off. We have London Hughes doing stand-up. We have Jessica Foster Q doing stand-up. We have A Musical and some amazing Guilty Feminist regulars doing a big song and dance routine. We have a massive feminist reading, perhaps the biggest feminist reading in feminist reading history. Guess who's joining us? Jessica Hines from W1A and Spaced and everything else on the telly. Adjua Ando from All of Shakespeare and Doctor Who. Bridget Christie, Juliet Stevenson, Scarlett Curtis, Felicity Ward, Alison Spittle, Kima Bob, Rubes Walsh, Susan Wacoma, Jessica Regan, and more. On the sofa, we have Mari Black, and we have Amnesty International, and we're doing the full Yorkshire women because we're having a mini secret policeman. Scarlett Curtis and I are announcing something very special, and I'm just going to tell you now quickly, it's called the Joyful Resistance. That's all I'm going to say. I'm not allowed to say any more than that. And Jess Robinson is going to be singing some amazing songs, and also there are some guests popping up. I'm not allowed to say who they are, uh, but there'll be a couple of little extra treats for you as well. Oh, don't miss it. There are a huge amount of seats left. So because a lot of the more affordable seats have gone, if you will do Truth to Power Hour this week for Amnesty International, you go to at Amnesty UK, 3 to 4 p.m. British time, ideally. 
but before or after that, if you can't make it at that time, we're all going to come together to speak truth to power. You go to Amnesty or you follow the Guilty Feminist and we will tell you what to do. We're all going to come together and make something trend. Now, if you are happy to do that, you're planning to do that this week or you did it last week, you can use the discount code at the Royal Albert Hall website, Guilty Hall. So there'll be a box where you can pop the discount code in and it's Guilty Hall and that will get you 10% off tickets as long as you do that amnesty action. It finishes 5.30 so people outside London can get home and still be in bed for 10 o'clock because we know our audience. So go to guiltyfeminist.com now and click through to Royal Albert Hall and Ticketmaster where you can get the last few tickets. See you there and now the podcast. I'm a feminist, but one day I dream of telling someone I've muted them on Twitter and then not checking their timeline to see what they've said about me after I've <laughs> muted them. <laughs> Is that funnier if it's a men's rights activist? Is that more feminist? Can I try it again? I'm a feminist, but one day I dream of telling a men's rights activist that I've muted them on Twitter and not going and checking their timeline to see what they've said about me after I've muted them. <laughs> it's funnier if it's a men's rights activist. It's good it is, yeah. I mean, I do do it with men's rights activists, but I do it with other people as well, just sort of, you know, people who are getting... Oh, anyone bullshit. can get a mute. Anyone can get a mute? Oh, yeah, yeah. Am I muted on Twitter? Absolutely not. I stalk you, Deborah. I want, I'm interested in every character you send out to the world. Anyway, I'm a feminist, but when people tell me I've got my pre-pregnancy body back, I say, thank you. But what I should say is, I'm wearing a girdle. Ah! It just just holds it all in, you know? But I don't tell them that, so shh. I own a girdle. You've announced it on a popular podcast. Well, you know, my mum doesn't listen, so that's fine. No, do you know what it is? It's medical, because your, your stomach muscles get torn in half, so the girdle puts it all back together again. But it also gives you a flattering shape. So who am, who am I to... Who am I to sort of, you know, correct people? Like, when I take this off, literally, if it would lock the mic, it would knock the microphone stand off the table. <laughs> if I was to take this off right now. I'm a feminist. <laughs> But earlier, when I heard Athena Kablenu talking about breastfeeding and milk coming out of the human body in a dairy sort of way, it made me feel a bit like, oh, I'm glad I've never had a baby. Because I think I would repulse myself. (laughs) Not that you're repulsive at all. I'm actually both fascinated and also in admiration. But I think if I was leaky... I might just feel a bit like a milk bar. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> so I'm a feminist, but when I heard Deborah say, I don't think I could lactate, you know, oh. I'll just use the correct word. Sorry, sorry. Because <laughs> it makes it feel a bit oozy. I would think I would convince you by saying you should do it because it makes your boobs massive. <laughs> They're huge. I, They're so big. I, I, I do see that, but I... Two things. <laughs> two things. We did an episode on, the, on breasts once, and I just remember thinking about at the time, and I'm sure I said at the time, I just think it's a bit weird that women have a part of our bodies that can just suddenly get a part-time job <laughs> and just sort of suddenly get... It's like if your knees started dispensing pizza. It's just weird. It's really, really weird, and we, we, don't, we don't think about that. I and a lot of other women, that's not happened to... Yet or will never, but I did for the episode. 
I went out in like seven bras and a T-shirt, which is a trick that Sarah Pascoe told me about, that right. you, you wear more bras. And it wasn't that fun because people did look, but they just talked to your breasts. And it's like you're not there. So it's actually like, it's like, you know, if you go for lunch with someone and they're on their phone and it's kind of annoying. Yeah. It's like that, except it's like they're on your phone. So. <laughs> And that's doubly annoying. They're on your breasts. Sorry, yeah, I'll just be with you in a minute. I'm just on your breasts. <laughs> it's just like, I didn't enjoy having big breasts. I mean, they're all, mine are, you know. They're healthy, you know, I mean, they're all breasts are healthy, but you've got boobs. You know I mean, I can see them from here. And I'm a metre away, away from you. <laughs> you should, yeah, you should be able to see them at very close range, though, I think. Yeah, and just... All breasts are visible at this range, I think. <laughs> that, that's true. Hmm. Um... <laughs> Sorry, do you want to do one? I, well, I'm a feminist, but you know what you're just saying about people looking at your boobs and it being a little bit uncomfortable. I quite like it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, what are you looking at? These. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a feminist, but based on what Athena's just said, I am now tempted to have a baby. <laughs> just so I can feel what it's like to walk out into the street with lactating breasts. But then I would need to immediately give you the baby. Oh, yeah. Would you be happy to have another one if it was given to you? Yes, love them. They're lovely. Except when they um, wee in your bed. But, <laughs> but, but yeah, no, babies. I think everyone's different, but I've found this experience something that I think, like, I want another one. Like, Do you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a bit like Maltesers. Like, oh, these, these are really nice. <laughs> Live from King's Place, in London, the Shop presents the Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Francis White, guest co host, Athena Kaplenu, and very special guests, Faith Uwadia and Amali de Alvarez, talking about women in STEM. The Guilty Feminist, the podcast in which we explore our noble goals as 21st century feminists and the hypocrisies and insecurities which undermine them. <laughs> Today, I'm with my co-pilot, Athena Kiblenu, and we're talking about women in STEM. <laughs> Hello, Athena. Have you had a guilty week or a feminist week? I've had both, actually. I've been a guilty feminist. There you go. Tell me more. Tell me more. Um, well, I feel a bit guilty today because I left my six-week-old at home. Oh, but don't worry, I spent all morning expressing milk for her. Oh, um, both of those sound guilty <laughs> and also feminist. Yeah. yeah, well, it's quite a feminist thing, I think, to do sit at home watching Come Dine With Me and Politics Live whilst arguing yourself. Is arguing yeah. a verb? Is that, oh, it's called milking. It's whilst milking yourself. And I, and I'm quite new to mother. It's my first child. I didn't know this is what you did. At first of all, I didn't know it squirted out of you. Did you guys know this? Like a cow. Like, I've seen Countryfile. And I was like, that's how it works on cows. Oh my God, this is how it works on humans as well. I had no idea. And so I was doing that one morning and I felt less guilty. But now I feel a bit bad because my mum's at home and she's 73. She's done her work. She's paid her dues. But, you know, um, got to come and say hi to you guys. Uh, hello. <laughs> Is your mum enjoying it, though? Is she terribly excited to be having She's a grandchild? She's excited, actually. Because this is her first grandchild, isn't it? Do you want to hear something cool? Yeah. So I've got a twin brother, and he lives in Australia. 
and he had his daughter on the same day as my, I had my no. twin cousins. Isn't that, isn't that twin scary? Twin cousins. Me and my brother had sex at exactly the same. <laughs> I don't like to think about it really. Um, wow. <laughs> but we were, we, so you've yeah. shared a womb. Uh, with a man, in a way, I feel that makes you a little less feminist. <laughs> I'm, I've been trying to claw my way back into kind of like the feminist room ever since. Like, no, uh, he didn't infect me with his manism. Because <laughs> that's the thing you can have, manism. Yeah. That, that's why yeah. we're all here, to get cured, right? That's why we're all These here. These are all jokes, by the way. If you are hearing a man, that's a joke. That's the kind, it's sort of, we're, oh, riffing, no, we're riffing around a stereotype of feminism. Oh, no, 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 we're here to cure you. No, sure. Um, <laughs> did you bring your gloves? Because I forgot my gloves last time. And it was so, I'll tell you a funny story about my childhood. So I had a really long labour because my cervix went on strike. And uh, yeah, it, Stop it. It just shut up shot, like, no. like, like, the, like the borders with Brexit. Like, no one's coming out or coming in. Um, <laughs> it was a very right-wing cervix. I had no idea. Um, <laughs> it's your cervix basically the American border. It's sort but, of like that. The built wall. And yeah. it saw the baby as a migrant caravan. Yeah. And it was like, no. You're not coming in or coming out. Um, <laughs> What I didn't know about contractions is they're very painful and then the pain stops. So if you've had a child and you, had, you would know this. So I'd be like, I'm in agony, I'm in agony, agony, agony. And then update the WhatsApp group. <laughs> <laughs> oh, send another tweet. It was just like wow. the most bizarre day of like, and like my mum was with me. My mum was my birth partner and she wasn't a very good birth partner. But that's fine. Um, <laughs> she might be listening to this though. Oh, she, she won't be listening to this. She's not very really tech savvy. Yeah. So oh, if this is this on the telly, I wouldn't be saying this. Um, but, <laughs> but anyway, but she was sort of around, I was sort of having contractions, and I was like, can someone make my mum some tea? <laughs> you know, I was oh, thinking about her. Oh. But then I, look, I reflect on that, and I think maybe that should have been my time. But when my... Ch- <laughs> like, I was like, oh my God, I'm in agony. And um, where's the remote control for the TV? My mum would like to watch Channel 5. Um, <laughs> We're talking about, it's funny that we're talking about so much uh, medic stuff because today our theme is women in STEM. Which is interesting. Actually, I met one male midwife. It struck me as an unusual thing. So it would be nice to get like, more men into things like midwifery mm. and more women into things like um, other stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the stage, Deborah Francis White. I am someone to whom all science is magic. Uh, that may disappoint some of you, but I am not going to learn about science now or maths. Uh, there was a time and a place for that. That was school. I missed it. I was interested in languages, I was interested in story, I was interested in humanities. I wasn't interested in science and maths. Now I'd really like to know. But I don't have any time now. I just don't want to. Uh, I just don't know how much you know, longer I've got left on the earth. Well, I do, because people who know about science and work at the UN say 12 years. And I want to, I'll listen to those people. I'll do what they ask me to do. People who work in science, I will listen to them. I would immunise my child if I had one. I will try and do the things they ask me to do to reverse climate change. But I myself... I'm not going to learn about science and maths because I don't have time and my brain doesn't work that way. Some of you are looking at me like you're disappointed. Fine, I'll stop doing the podcast then. And I'll do GCSE physics. That'll save the world. (laughs) 
See, it's not what you want from me. It's not what you want from me. Me getting a solid B in GCSE biology is going to do nothing for anyone and it will just distract me from this podcast. So, I mean, frankly, if you tried to show me how to do calculus, I'd shut my eyes. I'd be like, the time was school and I should have done it then. I didn't. It's never going to happen. And you and I need to be at peace with it. Some of you haven't accepted it. You think, no, Deborah, you can do better. You're a feminist. You should know how the world works. <laughs> I'm a guilty feminist. I'm a feminist, but I'm not going to ever understand how the moon stays in the sky. <laughs> I've, my husband is very sciencey, and he constantly tells me things like how the moon stays in the sky, and I don't remember them. I try and listen. I try and listen when he tells me things like how my computer works. And I just find myself not listening. I'm just thinking about something else. He goes, you're not listening now, are you? And I'm like, I tried. And I didn't... I just, my brain wouldn't connect with it. It's very good at lots of things, my brain, but not those things. And I've just accepted that about myself. And I need you two too. And some of you won't. And it's hurtful. You're judging me. And I, I, love, I love the idea of science and maths. And I want it to... I want women who like science and maths or have an aptitude for it to be at the forefront of the industry. That's why I'm doing this episode. This episode is my contribution to science. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Never say, listen, I may get a prize for this. <laughs> I may get some kind of science prize for this episode. I hope I do. But, you know, occasionally I'm called upon to work with women in STEM because, uh, you know, I do these seminars in businesses to help businesses retain and recruit and promote women. And a bank invited me in once. And they said, right, we've got this problem. There are two levels to this role, which is a banking role. And the first level is like a backstage role. I don't think they call it backstage in banking. <laughs> what do they call it in banking? Back office. It's not as sexy as a Backstage. Uh, backstage. When you're backstage and you're entry level, you're junior, you're a graduate, they have to be very rigorous. And they have to absolutely know everything about what they're saying. They have to be completely factual so they can make these predictions. But then when they get promoted, the best people who are backstage get promoted to front of house, um, to client facing, the starring role, the jazz hands role. And then they have to be at 90% certain because they're there out on the cold face, they're talking to the clients, they have to look at the research the backstage people did, make some educated guesses. Now, guess who the better guesses were? The men or the women? And this was a trend, it was a really, really strong trend. It wasn't like, oh, a little bit better, it was like a marked trend that the women were markedly better. It was something like they were having a 95% success rate as opposed to the men having a 70% success rate as a trend. I'm sure individuals varied. The women were making better guesses. But guess what the problem was, why they were calling me in? Guess who were leaving the job in droves? Didn't want to do it. The women or the men? You'd think it would be the men, wouldn't you? Because, you know, they weren't doing it very well. But they didn't mind. <laughs> they didn't mind not doing it very well. It was the women, the women. And do you know why it was the women? Because when they were backstage, they were 100% sure. But now they're front of house. They're actually having to tell people, take all of this money and put it on red or put it on black. They couldn't live with the uncertainty. And they were saying, I can't sleep at night. I'm getting a rash. The anxiety of not really knowing and actually having to be the person who puts the money on red or black. I can't do it. And the guys were just like, 70% success rate. 
winner. <laughs> and they seem to be really happy to say to their client, yeah, I just seem to have lost five million pounds of yours, but you know, you win some, you lose some. Give me another five million, I'll put it on red again this time. It'll come straight home. <laughs> then we'll go and have drinks in a high-end hotel on you. <laughs> they were loving it. They were loving it. And the women were, who were getting 95% success rate were going, look at that 5%. I'm a failure. I'm nothing but a failure. I've lost somebody else's money. <laughs> so they said to me, can you fix the problem? Because we need the women to stay because they're more successful but less certain about their success. And uh, I said, sure. I can work with them for how long? And they said, an hour. <laughs> and I said, so an, an hour a week? And they went, no, an hour total. I went, what? I said, I can't fix a lifetime of programming and brainwashing by society, which women have had since birth for generations. We have been schooled in the idea that we have to be perfect and any loss is a failure and there'll be consequences for that failure. I can't reverse that in an hour. I'm not Harry fucking Potter. <laughs> I said, I'm not, I, can't, I can't come in for a 90-minute seminar and completely reverse all of this engineering. And they said, we didn't say 90 minutes, we said an hour. I said... <laughs> I said, I'm going to need an hour a week for six months. And they went, oh, they couldn't possibly take that long out of the office. I said, well, then you're going to lose them all together. And they went, yeah, well, that's, that's all you're getting, an hour. So I just closed my eyes. <laughs> said, I'm not looking at it. No, I did. I just said, I can't do anything for you. I don't want to take your money for just an hour because it won't work. And in that moment, I realised I was one of those women who didn't want to take money <laughs> for failing at something <laughs> that she was really good at. And I went... I'm basically a woman in STEM. Thank you very much. Please welcome to the stage the wonderful Athena Cablenio. How are we doing, guys? We are good. You know that, right? You've established that. So this is about women in technology, okay? And I was never that great with technology. I didn't learn a lot about it at school. When I was at school, our technology lessons were like, things like, make a CD rack. <laughs> so I made a CD rack, and it's now 2018. Um, <laughs> and I've not picked up a CD for about 10 years. So we didn't really future-proof our education, is what I'm saying. What they should have said is, you know, make something that we're always going to use, like a spork. <laughs> sporks are timeless, right? We've, once the spork was invented, you go to KFC, you get a spork. You know, you go to Yosushi, you get a spork, I assume, I don't know. Um, or you, you use chopsticks. Anyway, our design lessons were kind of basic. It was like, if it's a box, you can make it. So I also made a puzzle, but I didn't actually get around to making a puzzle, so I just made the box that you put the puzzle in. <laughs> so it was just a box. So I could have just said, this is a box for anything. And then I would have got an A rather than a box for a puzzle, which I got a D for because there was no puzzle in it. Oh. <laughs> that was where I, ju I just figured out where I went wrong. I wonder if I could get that remarked. <laughs> it, was, it was a while ago. I'm not sure if anyone cares other than me about that. What I'm saying is I'm not very good with tech and it gets me into trouble all the time. Has anyone tried to repair something? They have no idea how to repair. <laughs> Someone's nodding right there. And it's like whatever it is is still broken right now. It's still on fire, isn't it? As long as you don't do your cars, because obviously you need your cars, like obviously, especially that, oh, I can fix these brakes. No, you can't. Get a mechanic in. <laughs> I'm quite a stubborn person. I like to fix things I've got no idea how to fix. I once tried to fix a washing machine. 
Yeah, you, you know how washing machines work? Did you invent the washing machine? No, oh. Could have been. <laughs> could, could have been an inventor. Are you a plumber? Oh, okay. I need a plumber, actually. Um, that's why I asked. I tried to fix my washing machine. My washing machine was broken, okay? And I, I like to say I'm a handy person. I'm actually just a cheap person. <laughs> that's right. So when you're a cheap person and you think you're handy, you think you'll save the money, you'll fix it yourself. And what I did was I pulled my washing machine out of the hole that it's in, the perfectly sized hole. I think they make them all the same size, guys. Genius. So... <laughs> pulled it out of the hole that it's in and I filled it about with it, right? And I thought, I'm doing really well. This looks like it's about to be fixed. In my qualified opinion, I don't know. I'm not an engineer. I just... Anyway, unfortunately, whilst I was doing that, um, I had a gentleman caller scheduled for that evening. If, if I say gentleman caller, that makes it sound better. Than... I don't want to make it sound like a hobby and not a profession. It just... It's a hobby. But anyway, could be. Anyway, he came early, right? Um, <laughs> he's not the dad. Just he, he arrived early uh, for the appointment. Uh, so I, found, I kind of thought, you know, this washing machine's kind of fixed now. It looks like a washing machine still. It started off like a washing machine, and it looks like a washing machine, and so I must have done a great job. I put it back in. I put a load on because I fixed it. Um, <laughs> Then I went into the bedroom to do what I'm really good at. Um, <laughs> get my A grade. Um, <laughs> anyway, anyway, whilst that was happening, I heard like, lots of sort of banging. Um, and I thought, well, haters going to hate, someone's jealous. Um, <laughs> and I heard some more banging. Um, now, give me a cheer if you're under, let me say, 36. <laughs> yeah, so that banging was the door. Someone's knocking on my door. Under 36s, we don't answer the door, do we? We don't do this, man. When the doorbell goes, we shit our pants. <laughs> we do this how, we, this is how it works, basically. When the doorbell goes, we're like, oh my God, who is that? I'll tell you right now. I'll tell you right now. If someone is knocking on your doorbell and you haven't got a takeaway or a scheduled appointment, <laughs> that person is trying to kill you. <laughs> this is not what we do in 2018. We don't knock on doors, okay? Like, it's not, <laughs> I'm of the age, I'm of the age where um, I remember the dad's doorstep challenge. That would not fly now, okay? For those of you who are young enough not to know what that is, basically that was a guy running around the UK knocking on people's doors, right, asking them how clean their pants were. <laughs> they, they stole a marketing strategy from the Jehovah's Witnesses. <laughs> Ludicrous. Anyway, I ignored this knocking because I'm, um, well, I'm 37 now, but I like to think I'm a millennial, so I'm not answering the door because I'm a millennial. Anyway... <laughs> Finished doing what I was doing, which is what I'm good at. Not qualified, because there's no degree in it. Um, <laughs> went into my kitchen. Opened the door to my kitchen. Guys, I've never seen so much water inside. <laughs> this isn't just comedy, this is education. I'm going to tell you how washing machines work. Right? They're very simple machines. Right? They've got a pipe that goes into them. You will know this is an inlet pipe, maybe, that lets the water in. Now, did you know washing machines wash your clothes at least twice? That's how it works. It puts enough water in your machine to wash and rinse your clothes twice. That's the inlet pipe. Right? There's another pipe called the outlet pipe. Yeah? <laughs> Otherwise called the drainage pipe. It's called that because it's supposed to plug into your drains. Right? Unfortunately, I did not plug my drainage pipe into my drains. <laughs> 
So when I came out of my bedroom into my kitchen, opened the door, that was all my kind of dirty knicker water. <laughs> um, so next day, I bumped into my downstairs neighbour, didn't I? He was like, oh, Fina, I was trying to get hold of you last night. Did you know that there's something uh, leaking through your roof? It was coming onto my bed, dripping away. I was like, no way. <laughs> You're kidding me. You know what, mate? I'll get a plumber in for that. That's, uh, so basically, I'm not good at technology, is what I'm saying. <laughs> I shouldn't, I shouldn't trust me. But I'm going to end on this, because I should be good at technology. And this is true. If you're a woman and you want to get into technology, get, and you want to get into technology, do it. Because we do technology right, okay? I mentioned a spork earlier. That was invented by a man. Sporks, kind of useless, all right? <laughs> Women invent useful things. I was looking for female inventors. We only invent useful things. I'm going to name a few people. Nancy Johnson invented the ice cream maker. Do you know, a man wouldn't do that. Do you know what I mean? Okay, this is a really good one. Shirley Ann Jackson, American woman, invented caller ID. Exactly, very useful in this day and age with Tinder and all this, and you know, direct messaging and all that stuff. Who's stalking us, man? Um, <laughs> But I will say this, we do have to thank men for one thing, okay? Because um, it was, this is true, guys. Guys, I know that I, had a, I was born with a man, and I'm not being, like, man-friendly because of this. I'm just telling you the facts, all right? A man invented a tampon. I know. I don't know what he was going to do with it, but... <laughs> <laughs> we found use for it, but the problem is he still got it wrong, all right? He still got it wrong. Because he put it in a bright yellow packet. The most discreet thing you you have in your handbag ever. Well, maybe a vibrator, but like it's, a tampon's kind of discreet. You know, a bright yellow packet for something that you really don't want people to. For a woman who invented it, it would look like a lipstick, maybe, or a pen, or an eyeliner. <laughs> but thank you to the man who made this handbag. Thank you. Hello, Guilty Feminists. Hello, I'm Margaret K. Bond-Smith. I'm Jessica Foster-Q. You know us off this podcast you're in the middle of listening to. Yay! We are here because we want to tell you about a play that we're both in called Brexit. Don't be put off by the name. No, it's nothing Um, like the real Brexit. No, it's actually really good. It knows what it is. Lasts an hour and 15 minutes. Rather than a lifetime. (laughs) Lifetime of hell. Um, It's very sort of clever and funny, and it's quite feminist, isn't it? In the sense that we're both very... We're um, high-status high yeah. women in it. Neither of us are in bikinis. No, I've, got, I've been allowed a suit for it a yes. um, long time ago. Trouser suit. Trouser suit. Yeah, you as well. Yeah. So, there are no skirts yeah. in it. Yeah, it's more guilty than feminists to say feel quite sexy in a trouser suit. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I no it's just that we're not used to having any power no, at all. No, we're not used so to having any exciting. power as comedians and actors. <laughs> well, a long time ago, I did a law degree and I've had friends from university see the press pictures for this play and say... The road not taken. And, um, of course you could have been. In a way, there. I'm basically, this is as close, being in this play is as close as I'll ever get to making my mum happy with my <laughs> career. So please come and watch it. Please come and support us. It's brilliant, funny, clever, clever play. And there's a special offer for Guilty Feminist listeners. All tickets are only £15 with the offer code BREXIT15. Yeah, go to kingsheadtheatre.com for tickets and we will buy you drinks afterwards. That's a bit much, that won't happen. Not guaranteed. No, not guaranteed.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Our first guest today is a highly skilled scientist on the brink of completing her PhD at Imperial College with a thriving career in immunology. Please welcome Faith Uwadier. Our other guest is the CEO of Code First Girls. Please welcome Amali D. Alwas. So, Faith, you're cusping on doctor. Yeah, I'm basically almost a doctor. I'm just waiting for my final exam. (laughs) So you're you're soon to be vivid. Soon to be vivid. So they sit you down for two to four hours and just throw questions at you just to check that you haven't stolen all of it from Wikipedia. Basically grilled by experts in my field for two to four hours, and then I prove to them that I'm worthy of becoming a doctor. Wow. Yeah. So next time, <laughs> next time you come on the show, you'll be Dr. Faith. That's the plan. Yeah. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because Faith is the opposite of science. <laughs> Will you change your name to science, you wadier? I'll think about it. Or maybe proof. What about proof, you wadier? That's good. I think... To be honest, I'm Nigerian. That could work. They like faith and blessing and joy and yeah, hope. They, so. they, you know, it's working out. And listen, I was attracted to your Twitter account... Yeah. Not sexually, that sounds wrong. <laughs> I wanted to ask your Twitter account and on a date. Uh, no, I was attracted to your Twitter account because you put up during Black History Month yeah. that you were researching and platforming and amplifying black scientists who'd done amazing things who were under the radar and not properly recognised. Yeah, that's exactly in our, what I did. In our white-focused world. <laughs> yeah. So you're going to tell us about some of those? Yeah, I'm going to do that. And, hello everyone, my name's Amali. I'm the chief exec of Code First Girls. Mm. And could you quickly tell us what Code First Girls is? I know, because I've come and done lots of events for you, but not everyone knows. Code First Girls, we focus on getting women to tech. So we run free coding courses, we do events, and we work with companies to actually help them hire more women. And Deborah, you have helped people into STEM, and you've kind of been a bit of a pseudo-STEMI person as well, so I don't think you're giving yourself enough credit. Listen, I will happily come along to Code First Girls and encourage young coders... Uh, to step forward into the light. And they've told me a lot about how difficult it is for a young girl in a very male-dominated environment like that to enter and to sustain that level of energy for it when they often feel sidelined. So I think what you're doing is a remarkable and wonderful thing, and I'll come and boost them with confidence any time. But what they do, as far as I'm concerned, is magic. (laughs) (laughs) I don't. Maybe maybe we can get you secretly coding without you realising it. Uh, Maybe I'm coding now. In that case, <laughs> who knows? Who knows? So, Faith, you've uncovered a lot of black scientists. Uncovered. It sounds like you've exhumed yeah. them. Um, <laughs> you've gone looking for the work of black scientists. We, we're obviously asking you about the female ones predominantly. Although, I mean, if you've got no remarkable men, don't keep them under your chair. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's true, isn't it, that the first coders were women? Yeah. So you had. Um... 
Katherine Johnson and Mary Jackson, who were the supercomputers, and they used to calculate the trajectories of people so they could go into space, and they were really important for getting the first American into space. Mm. That was the hidden figure story. Yeah, exactly. And it was seen like as an admin role then. It was seen like a thing you'd do in an office, so women were automatically allowed. So that's fascinating. So basically, when women were doing it, it was like, oh, this is day-to-day nonsense, and a man does it, like, this is incredible. Yeah. <laughs> this is genius. Do you wow. know anything? Do either of you know anything about why women got pushed out of that field and why men took it over? There's a really amazing um, interview which was done with Dame Stephanie Shirley, right? And she was talking about when she used to work at the post office, so when early women were in computing. And she was saying it was actually when they started making money that the women started being pushed out. And they, what? they at one point, they even reclassified their roles, so the post office used to do everything around sort of technology and telegraph poles and all of this kind of stuff. They actually reclassified the computing roles because they didn't want to pay them as much as the men who were being brought in. That's like hip-hop and white people. (laughs) 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 But with men and women. Carry on. Exactly like hip-hop, yeah. (laughs) What do you mean, like, when Eminem took over? Well, yeah, just when it started to become more commercial, then you started to see white rappers. Oh, I see, yeah. So encroaching in the space. Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking it's like there are more female doctors than male doctors now and doctors get paid less now. It's actually that in reverse. Wow, yeah. Jobs that are predominantly female get devalued. It used to be men were secretaries. Men did everything because women weren't allowed in any workplaces. Then the roles that women took when they were allowed in the workplace were devalued. And then when they start to get highly valued because there is a commercial value in them, men come in and take them. It's absolutely fascinating. They're taking our jobs, man. Yeah. (laughs) We should build a wall. (laughs) (laughs) So, Faith, tell us a little bit about what you uncovered during Black History Month. Is there anyone you particularly want to feature for The Guilty Feminist? Okay, I'll talk it through. I've been within the university structure now for about nine years or so, being a student as an undergrad and postgraduate and then working. And in that whole period, I've met maybe a handful of PhD students, maybe a few post-doctoral scientists, so that's after you've got your PhD. And I'd never, ever, ever been lectured by a black lecturer before, or even met a black academic. So it kind of got me to this whole point of, where are all the black people in STEM? (laughs) Why do I never see them? They must exist. So I decided I wanted to educate myself a bit more about their stories. So I was kind of working on my PhD at the time, and I was like, I need to commit to this, so I'll keep it accountable and tweet about it to keep myself accountable. So I started researching their stories, and I think the cool thing about it was I was finding all these amazing scientists, not just African-American women, but also British women as well, which you often don't really hear their stories as much. So, yeah, I guess one of the people I'd like to highlight, she's not technically a scientist, but she's a nurse, which I think should be a science. (laughs) But, you know, it's another thing, predominantly women, not really given that same level of attention. But her name was, um, is Elizabeth Anuwu. So she's this dame who's a professor at the University of West London. And what she did was that she really, really cared about sickle cell and thalassemia, which are diseases that predominantly affected people from BME backgrounds. So sickle cell generally affects people from black African or black Caribbean backgrounds. And she felt that they weren't really getting that attention. So she, with a team, basically set up this screening program to try and screen people for sickle cell and thalassemia in the borough of Brent. And she was able to set that program and get that going. 
She then went and chaired many NHS programs, focusing predominantly on BME health within the community. And she also became a lecturer, got her PhD, and opened up and became the head of the Mary Seacole Centre at the University of West London. So I think she's just amazing. Wow. <laughs> is, she, is she still doing that? Yeah, yeah. So she's an emeritus professor now. So she's retired, but she's amazing. She's got her damehood and she's a CBE. So Will you come incredible. back and bring her on the show? I would like to get to know her, so yes. <laughs> but you've not met her yet? I am, she's following me on Twitter, which I thought was pretty cool. Oh. <laughs> and I follow her back. <laughs> Great. So you're, you're basically... Well, she's, you're, yeah, she's basically <laughs> going to be your bridesmaid. Yeah. <laughs> um, and who else would you like to tell us about? Another person I'd like to talk about. This one's an African-American woman. Mm-hmm. So I think she's cool just because of what she does, but I don't know too much about her, I have to admit. So her name is May Diana Anrad. So she's a professor at the University of Toronto, Scarsborough. And what she looks at is evolutionary biology, but she looks at the cannibalism of spiders. So she looks at black widow spiders and Australian redback spiders. And she basically looks at their... Um... She is not welcome on this show. <laughs> Instantly just went, I don't like her. Yeah, yeah. Of all the signs, the lady who's curing, yeah, sickle cell anemia, sure. The lady who's going to bring out cannibal spiders and just go, oh. Unless she's been in Spider-Man, we really don't want to go any further with this. It's really cool. I know, she is cool, she is cool, sorry. Some of us got a shudder. I think I'm actually not that, spiders aren't that particularly, I'm not very arachnophobic, but the word cannibal in front. Yeah. It does, so they're what, spiders that eat each other? Well, it's the interesting thing about it, it's, it's looking at women who eat the male spiders during Ooh, sex. Oh, it's quite feminist. <laughs> yeah. Got me back. You got me back. Yeah. So we're talking at female spiders who eat the male spiders during sex. Yeah. Why do they do that? So it's kind of like this mix. Why not? Of, I don't know too much about this. <laughs> Is they black widows? Is that what they Yeah, called? so they're black widows or Australian redback spiders. And apparently during the mating, the men kind of somersault into the women somehow. Do they know they're going to do that? They kind of sacrifice themselves in the name of becoming a father. It's a whole thing. <laughs> I mean, in a way, though, they're not then there to pick up the slack, are they? I mean, then she's got all these spiders running around. Where's Dad? Oh, he... Oh, he I'll he, tell you when you're older. Yeah, he chopped he, he into my mouth at the last minute to avoid the nappy changes, in my opinion. But she eats him. Yeah. And then... Goes forth and has child. And then they, she has some boys and some girls, but she knows that the boys that she has will eventually be eaten by yeah. some of the girls. Yeah. You know well, what? I get peckish after sex. So I'm, <laughs> I'm just wondering if I'm a spider. <laughs> and that the father was lucky to be alive. <laughs> anyway, carry on, sorry. It's... <laughs> Uh, so, Faith, <laughs> these women sound absolutely remarkable. And she, of course, is welcome on the Guilty Feminist podcast anytime. She sounds absolutely fascinating. But these women that you're uncovering, why is it that we don't hear more about black women and black male scientists? Why is this hidden figures thing so predominant? I think it's in science, it's very much the idea that to start off with, a lot of black women or black people in general aren't told that science is for them to a certain level. So you have, like, I've been in science for nine years. I've never even met someone in a senior position who's black, and I'm ingrained in the society and within the... That's really poor representation. It's really, really bad. (laughs) So you're doing something remarkable by 
forging on and you're going to become very senior and become that representation. That's the plan. (laughs) And you're doing immunology. Yes. What drew you to that? I just kind of love the immune system. I kind of love when it goes wrong. So... (laughs) I mean, this is what I love about science people. They're like, isn't it great when it breaks? No, no, it's not. No, it's very bad. Yeah. My PhD was very much looking at asthma and allergic asthma. So the whole mechanism of allergic asthma is your body overreacting. So, no, yeah, it really is. <laughs> so basically, it's an immune response that your body normally has to a parasite, but for some reason, it's now doing this towards an allergen like pollen. I heard a Radio 4 show about this. Yeah. They were saying that in the developing nations, there's no such thing as asthma or eczema or peanut allergies because the immune system is already working really hard at keeping out actual toxins and, you know, fecal matter and mud and all of these different things. And in the developed nations, our immune systems are like um, a sort of bored teenager going, (laughs) fucking hell, there's nothing to do. I've got something to board. I'm bored. I'm going to play Candy Crush with that pollen. And it just... And it just starts going, yeah, I'm allergic to pollen. You're not, though, are you? Yeah, I am. I want to be. I've got nothing to do. Everything's too clean. Is that the case? Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) And that's why it's cool. (laughs) So you're going to be a senior in immunology. You're on the cusp of being Dr. Faith slash Dr. Proof. And uh, what's your job going to be? My job's completely different. So I'm looking at malarial infection in my new job. Yeah, really cool. So it's going to be malarial infection causing cancer. And I'm going to be looking at immune cells in that system and seeing what drives it. I'm so happy you're alive. (laughs) I just, I just, I mean, I just think if there weren't all these amazing scientists and women like you doing all of this stuff, just just how remarkable the world is. When you read anything about history, everyone's dying the whole time. That everyone's miserable, everyone's dying, everyone dies in childbirth. No, it's true, and you need scientists, because when you don't have scientists, you've got people like me making CD cases. It's, it's like, completely useless. So oh, I'm just people like, like me <laughs> making jokes. Yeah. I mean, it's just... So, I'm really grateful for scientists and people in tech, because that's actually what drives... Mm. I mean, becoming nicer people drives humanity forward, but actually the technology as well really helps. So, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you a lot, seriously, because our lives are so significantly better and longer and the quality of them are so much greater. Um, speaking of technology, which drives all of our lives now, because I think now, if I didn't have Uber and Deliveroo, what would my life be? <laughs> I don't actually use Uber. I use Get Taxi, but I thought Uber was more accessible uh, in the joke. I use Get Taxi because I like to support black cabs because I don't... I think Ubers are just men coming to your house. Um, <laughs> they are, though. It's just strangers. So, but can you tell us, Amali, with all everything that we have now that's so extraordinary, we want to book a train ticket, we go like that, we want to pay, we just bip it like that. That's all coders. And you're doing something remarkable for girls in coding. Tell us more about what drove you to do that. I was one of those girls. I kind of say that I had a left brain, right brain argument. I was someone who liked to make waistcoats for my Barbie dolls, but I also liked to make radios until my parents told me to dismantle them because I would pick up like police signals and stuff like that. So that, that, that was me as a kid. And I just never saw what the difference was. You know, if you like building things and making things and solving problems, you know, that was exciting for me. You know, I, I kind of, the people I would look up to were people like Amy Johnson, who was a, a pilot, as well as MacGyver. So it's kind of like, you know, these were, these were people going on adventures and doing really interesting things. 
And so you wanted to be a MacGyver. I, I really wanted to be MacGyver. And actually, I have asthma, which means that I used to have a little bag where I used to carry my puffers. But I also had my penknife and my compass and my little oh. MacGyver pack with my asthma medications. Always wow. be ready. That, <laughs> that's so cool. I thought so, yes. Yeah. Did you ever make anything out of bubble gum? Out of bubble no, gum? No, because I've seen an episode of MacGyver once where he... Rubber anyway. bands. Also rubber bands, useful. yeah. 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 Okay. Rubber bands, bubble gum, and things like that, yeah. Okay, that's awesome. <laughs> when did that turn into an interest in like coding and computer science? For me, it was, it was about building things. So that, that, that's the thing about coding, which is very few people code just for the sake of coding, right? You code with a purpose. You're, it's just another way of building things. So it's a little bit like saying, you know, do you build, make something out of Lego? It's like you don't make things out of Lego because you just like the Lego. You want to make something out of the right. Lego. And so I first learned to code when I went to uni. I did engineering to start with. And then I decided to be a radical art student and I went and did a degree in shoe design. Um, and then shoe design in shoe design realized about six months in that I had just wasted a lot of money because really I'd done the same degree twice because whether you're manufacturing shoes or aeroplane propellers guess what it's the same process oh. <laughs> so uh, my parents weren't too glad at that part but um did your shoes fly my shoes always <laughs> flew oh, yeah okay. yeah little wings and everything for me it's always been about building things so regardless of what the the tools or what you kind of build it out of that's the exciting part and girls at home are inspired to code, and it's the language of the world now, and I'm sure if I was a child now, I would be coding. How, what does... No one believes you, Deborah. Why are you laughing? No, that's what children do now, they code. Isn't that true? That's right, isn't it? Like, I just say, I wasn't in the generation that coded things. But you can always come back if you want to, Deborah. Yeah, we've covered that, I don't. But, no, I would like to learn to code, actually. That's the one thing I would like to learn to code... I was sort of joking before about, I was using hyperbole to say, I don't want to know how the, I know how the moon stays in the sky. Um, sort of. um, but I would like to learn, I would like to learn how to code, very basically, just so I understand what the skill is. But what's Code First Girls doing, really? What's the reach out plan? Is it that girls aren't coding enough, that they don't think they can do that, that they are, in a way, code themselves not to do that by society? Or is it that they're out there and they're thinking, I love coding, but I need a way into the industry? It can be all of those. So a lot of our community... So we run free coding courses for young women across the UK. So from Aberdeen down to Southampton, Dublin, Belfast, Bath, all over the place. We run a lot of those courses out of unis, but we also do a lot of them out of companies. So companies like uh, The Guardian or Twitter and Facebook, whoever kind of thing, they host our events, they host our courses, uh, which is really exciting. And for the women who join for those, and these are generally late teens, early 20s, it can sometimes be around, you're trying to figure out, you know, how do I use the skills which I've already learned and kind of get myself a job. In a lot of cases, it's people who had never thought about technology. And, and I think this is the big thing around how our lives have changed, which is we all carry around supercomputers in our pockets these days. You know, I'm, I'm an 80s kid. I'm 38 now. I remember the days of CDs and, and, you know, God help me, records and all of those kinds of things. The world is a different place. And this is about saying that regardless of what you go into, whether it's, you know, as a doctor, as a nurse, as a teacher, as a fire person, whatever you want to go into, technology plays a role in that. And do you want to feel connected to that or do you want to feel like it's something which is happening outside and that you can't connect to that? Mm. And Code First Girls, do you need money? 
Do you need support? Do you need... If anyone wants to come and give us free money, that's lovely. Uh, Always like free money. But, um, yeah, I mean, if you are a young woman, so roughly speaking, sort of 18 to 23, or if you're currently studying, uh, come and learn to code for free. We do evening courses. They work around people's, you know, jobs and all of these kinds of things. Um, Or if you're at a company who is wanting to recruit tech talent come and learn how you can actually do that and create a more diverse workforce. So we do lots of stuff with companies. We've got some great programs which go on with companies like BT or with Bank of America or whoever else that is. But it's really around saying, how do we make sure that the tech industry, which is now foundations of how all we live, is a fairer one and a more representative one. And can I ask, do you find that women are thirsty for this service or you're having to go out and explain why coding is good for these young ladies? We've generally been overwhelmed. So for most of our... By the end of this year, we'll be teaching somewhere in the region of 5,500 women how to code for free each year. On average, we get double the number of applicants for the spots that we have. There are some courses we've run where for a course of 30 people, we've had 300, 350 applications. So there is huge demand um, as far as people just looking around the world and going, what kind of jobs do I want to do? What's Mm. exciting? And realizing that this is a barrier to that. So as much as this is something you do and you teach young women how to code, your courses are oversubscribed. If they can't do your course, how else can they get started? Lots of amazing online resources. So if you want just a a little bit of an introductory background, the Duke of York's platform called IDEA um, is a fantastic one. Code First Girls actually submitted a badge for it. You can learn all about anything from coding in the web. You can learn about cybersecurity. You can learn about social media, all of these kind of things. If you want to learn coding... Uh, There are some great free online platforms, so things like Code Academy or General Assembly's Dash platform, and there is zero cost, zero barrier to entry. So you can literally poodle away at home, have a go, see if you like it, and then if you do like it, you can actually come and join for courses, whether it's with us or lots of other people as well. And how do you make money? How do you keep afloat? We operate as a revenue-generating not-for-profit. So it's kind of like a professional services firm. So we go into, let's say, a bank, and we might do a coding day for their staff, men and women. We might go in and run a training program or a trainer-trainer program with a big telco. Uh, At the moment, we're running a three-month intensive boot camp, actually, with BT. So we have taken over a nice little swishy floor on the head office. We've got 30 women of all ages who are being put through a three-month intensive program. And BT have basically said, if we have 30 successful graduates, we have 30 guaranteed jobs. So this is basically saying, let's get people from zero tech background to a point where they are quite literally working in a tech role and helping those companies as well to find really amazing people who can do their jobs. So you charge companies, but then you use some of that funding to teach girls for free. Exactly. And teenage girls. And and is 18 the earliest you can apply? Do you have anything for teenagers younger than that? We don't work with under 18s, but we have lots of other partner organisations who kind of work with us. So companies like Apps for Good or STEMETS, um, who do loads of stuff with under 18s definitely worth checking out if you're uh, looking for those kinds of things. And so if people are listening and they have teenagers or they are teenagers who are under 18, can they find that information on your website? Uh, Yes, so if you go to our website there is a little page which is called either Teach Yourself uh, where you can actually learn about all of the different platforms or the Friends and Partners one which basically has lots of other organisations who kind of operate in similar types of space as well. Great, I've heard about STEMETS recently um, absolutely amazing organisation. But around, if you're listening internationally, there will be stuff like this in your local area. So have a look what's online for you, for free, but also have a look at what's online available for courses. Because I think a lot of what I love about Code First Girls when I go, there's all these young women together, these 18, 19-year-olds who are all kind of, you know, excitedly just talking and meeting each other. And that's really wonderful. And I think that's probably the biggest thing, which is if I could teach someone everything they need to know about coding today, it would be out of date tomorrow. 
right? The better thing for me to do is just get people really excited about technology, give them some of the tools, and then they go learn themselves. So I know how you can make them excited, okay? Because when you get young people into a room, you've got to tell them in our day, you had to code <laughs> <laughs> to use a computer. Because I remember the old BBCs. Do you remember the old BBC computers? Yeah. Yeah, yep. so it's almost, like, it's almost like to get young people excited, you have to say, you don't know how good you've got it, okay? <laughs> like, we had Be Windows, grateful. We had Windows 3.0. <laughs> No one remembers that. We're really old. <laughs> can you, can you code old. Faith? No, but I really wanted to go on one of those courses, but I couldn't get my date to match. But they run them at Imperial, and I really want to do one. Well, I hope you do, because yeah. I really want you to be able to build tech to fight whatever it is I'm going to catch <laughs> in the next five years and use tech to solve the problems of my body turning on itself because it lives in too much luxury. Um, that's basically the situation as it stands. That's my hay fever. Everything that's wrong with me is that I live in too much luxury and my body is bored. Oh, I'm allergic to some kinds of red wine. <laughs> so I'm really glad I've met you because I could deal with a fix, you know. <laughs> that is, the, cure that that. is the firstiest of the first world problems. <laughs> Darling, do you know, my body just turns on me if I drink red wine. And um, Hi, you know, I tell yeah. you, everywhere. Do you know, I'm allergic to classic FM. Um, <laughs> my, bod- my immune system just says, Darling, you know, it's, it's too clean here. I'm allergic to this iPhone right now. It's awful. Well, is there anything we can do for you, Faith? Anything you want to plug or anything we can do for you? Oh, actually, I do. Surprising. So me and a couple of people at Imperial are putting on a diversifon. So we're going to be writing Wikipedia pages about amazing black people in science. It'll be at Imperial College London. Oh, and oh, what, so you all get together and you all <laughs> yeah. write Wikipedia pages? Yeah, you bring your computer along, you sit down... We write Wikipedia pages because one of those things is that a lot of people don't have pages, so it's really hard to find the information. Oh. So there's a really amazing scientist called Jess Wade that's been writing Wikipedia pages for women. You should get her in, actually. She's amazing. Jess, <laughs> Jess Wade? Yeah, she's amazing. Okay, and she writes Wikipedia pages for yeah, women? Yeah, I think she's so, written like 350 of them so far. Because uh, I heard women yeah. write fewer Wikipedia pages. Yeah, like Donna Strickland, who just got the Nobel Prize, they basically said, you're not famous enough to have a Wikipedia page. What? She just won one. <laughs> she just yeah. won a Nobel Prize. And she's like, I've got a fucking Wikipedia page. <laughs> That's a low bar, man. Well, how do we follow you to find out more about this? At... Faith underscore Uadia on Twitter. Okay, can you just spell that for the listeners? Yes, I will. U-W-A-D-I-A-E is the surname part. Okay, great. So Faith underscore Uadia. Code First Girls. Uh, if you are a young woman, come and join our courses. They are awesome. Um, if you are a more established female professional, um, you can actually come and join our professionals courses. The applications are online and those are in London, unfortunately, uh, for the moment, but we will be looking to expand. And if you are anyone who works at companies who think you might be interested, just come say hi. Great. And you can actually check us out on uh, the interweb at www.codefirstgirls.org.uk or you can find us on all the social channels, usually at something like at codefirstgirls. Great. And if you want to hire Code First Girls to come into your company, if you're part of the L&D department of your HR, that sounds absolutely brilliant and like you're really contributing to something wonderful. We wish you very well, Faith, with your Viva. I'm sure you're going to be Dr. Faith any minute. Thank you. And we wish you very well, Amali, and we'd, I'd love to come and do some more events with you. I really, really enjoyed it. Athena, have you got anything to plug? Um, I don't. I'm on maternity leave. Um, <laughs> would, you, would you recommend maternity leave? Um, definitely. Maternity and paternity. It's oh, good. Yeah, well done. Yeah. 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 Parental leave. Good. 
You have been listening to The Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Francis White, guest co-host, Nicola Blenu, and our very special guest, Faith Iwadier, and Amali de Albus. The recording engineer was Chris Sharp. Music was by Mark Hodge. The producer was Tom Selinsky from Spontaneity Shop. Thanks to Zoe Jacob, Sally, and everyone at King's Place, as well as all of you for listening. For more information about this and other episodes, visit guiltyfeminist.com. strategy sit as far away as possible sit near another man hasn't worked um, John is your first time at the show what's your, what's the name, name of the man behind Johnny David David, David and Johnny and you, it's your first time that someone brought you yeah. <laughs> don't give too much away David who's who's brought you My wife. oh your wife lovely does she listen to the show not a listener David is he he's not a listener no idea if she listens to the show she's what well how did she get you to come tonight even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. She said we're going to a show. Okay, you've come along.